so uh, we've been looking this fall at uh, uh, John chapter 3. We're on uh, uh, verse 16. Uh, now, this is the second Sunday we're on this. Roger asked me when he got here this morning, you know, is it, is it hard or joyful to preach on a text that's so familiar and so well uh, loved? And, um, you know, the only thing I could say about it is, well, I'm going to get about four shots at it because uh, that's how long we're going to spend on it. So um, one of those might be worthwhile. So, um, but anyway, we're going to look again today at uh, John 3.16, particularly at the issue of the love of God. Um, but before I read that text, uh, let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you today that your love is... Uh, the ground beneath our feet, it's the air we breathe, the food we eat, uh, the rest we get. Uh, without your love, there would be no life. Uh, without your love, there would be no hope, no joy. And without your love, we wouldn't even know, uh, as your creatures, what love is. Uh, but uh, the Bible tells us, you tell us, that you are love. And that love is powerfully demonstrated to us in the work of Jesus Christ. Apply that to our hearts today. Uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So John 3.16, the text is in the bulletin, also up uh, on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we live in a time and an age and a culture where we love love, right? Right? Everybody loves love. Love a love story, right? Um, you know, the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy that uh, came out a few years ago and the, distorted the books so much, you know, because you, if you never read the books and you watched the movie, you thought it was a love story. It's not a love story. Uh, not really. There's much more about friendship and that sort of thing. But we're so enamored with love, uh, with the idea of especially romantic love, that it's hard for us to really think about uh, what love is. This week, uh, you know, I, I made the mistake of uh, looking at my Twitter page, and um, there was this Twitter debate going among people that I follow not so much anymore about whether uh, marriage is about love or not. <gasps> Gasp. Uh, and you can imagine kind of how the debate went that, uh, love, the way we commonly define it, uh, really isn't what marriage is about, but marriage is really about commitment. And I'm all for commitment. I think commitment is awesome because you couldn't really have love without commitment. But I don't want to be married to somebody who's just committed to me. That's good, you know, and that's, you know, that's kind of like, Okay, gotta, gotta, gotta have that, but I want somebody who is warm, passionate, intense, fervent in their love and commitment to me. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you've had opportunities or times in your life where you've felt love so intensely. Um, this time of year is a great time of year in our family because uh, 
uh, my, uh, uh, Marty has a birthday. The next day, my brother has a birthday. And five days later, uh, I have a birthday. Marty's three years older than me for five days. And um, uh, then my uh, oldest son and my youngest niece have a birthday after my birthday. So we have lots of parties. We gain a lot of weight even before the holidays. Uh, so uh, years ago, many years ago, Marty was very pregnant with our youngest, Madeline. Uh, we had two little boys at home. Uh, it was a dark time of life. No, it wasn't. Actually, it was just, I don't, I say that dark, not because it was sad. It's just, I don't remember a lot about it, honestly. She'll remind me periodically of like, you know, this happened or that happened. And I'm like, what? Was I there? Did that really happen? And she's like, yeah, well, you know, you were very involved. Well, anyway, one thing I do remember about that time was we, uh, the church was still very new. We were still very new at this. And we, uh, someone had given us a gift card to La Mer, the fancy French restaurant at the Jefferson Hotel. If you're new to Richmond and you've never been to the Jefferson Hotel, you need to walk through there and it will give you an impression. Uh, it is big and fancy and formal and remarkable and kind of ostentatious and all at the same time. Lovely. See, Kristen, I use that word, lovely. I know, you love it. Love. She's just loving this, uh, so lovely. Well, uh, because we were poor and, and because we had a gift card and because La Mer is so stinking expensive, uh, we, even with the gift card, we couldn't afford to go for dinner because, you know, everything on the menu for dinner is three times what it is for on the lunch menu. So I'm like, okay, let's, let, let's go for lunch. Well, we got dressed up for lunch uh, and we went down there and um, I had to go take a phone call, do something. Anyway, she, uh, when I came uh, back into the lobby, she was standing there in the lobby, as I said, uh, very pregnant. Uh, she was all dressed up, and I just looked at her, and I just felt this heavy, heavy intensity in my chest of, wow, look at her. Stunning, compelling, beautiful. I love her so much. I don't, I don't remember much more about that lunch. Uh, I remember some soup that we had. Uh, but I just remember thinking, I cannot get over the fact that here we are married, raising a family, and that I have been blessed to experience life with this beautiful, stunning, lovely woman. It was just overwhelming. Now, I'm sure that before the day was over, I irritated her and she irritated me and that, but there was that moment where, yes, we were committed, but the passion was palpable. I mean, it was like electricity flowing there in the lobby of uh, the Jefferson Hotel. When we talk about the love of God, we can uh, make some mistakes. One is we can limit ourselves to talk about the love of God in terms of 
his keeping his promise, keeping his commitment, uh, and those things are true. He does those things. He is faithful. But the other thing about it is that God not only is faithful, he is fervent, passionate, intense in his love and his passion for his people. He combines both of those in ways that are never broken, never interrupted. Nothing changes that about him. And so when Jesus says these immortal words to um, Nicodemus, that God so loved the world, he is communicating that to us. And so what I want us to do today is spend a few minutes just looking a little bit at uh, uh, what it means uh, that God uh, loves us. But to begin to understand the love of God for us, we have to understand a little bit about God himself. And the place to begin with that is we must first begin with who and what God loves and how he loves and how much he loves. <clears throat> what Jesus is doing here by saying these things to Nicodemus is he is elevating before us and gutting us at the same time. He's elevating the love of God before us, but he's gutting Nicodemus and us of any notion that we would have <clears throat> any self-righteousness, anything that would compel God to love us, that we have any kind of merit, that we do anything that merits his love for us. And we have to begin there. And to begin there, you have to understand how God is and what the Bible reveals to us about the nature of the God that we talk about. Because, as he says that God gave his only begotten son, he is telling us that the love of God is manifest to us in the, the giving of that which is most precious to God. Now, we think about that often in, in, in the best ways that we can think about that in terms of, well, I have a child, I love this child so much. But that's, that pales in comparison to what it means for the father to love the son, right? Uh, because what, what the Bible reveals to us is that in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three members are eminently lovable, all three members are uh, eminently lovely, all the time because there's no sin to be overcome here's a way to think about it if you want to understand the intensity and the beauty of the love of god the father son and holy spirit are kind of in this dance together eternally loving one another submitting uh, uh, being for one another delighting in one another passionately in love if there was nothing else in the universe, if God didn't make anything else, if there was no creation, if there was no world, if there was no universe, the universe would be full of love. Just because God is there. Okay? God is love. That's what the scripture tells us. And it's, that's not kind of some sort of soft thing. What that's telling us is that, that God doesn't need us to know what love is. That we know what love is because God first encapsulates that, demonstrates that, and is that in the very essence of his person. Right? And so this love exists and fills the universe before God says a word of creation at all. 
right? And so, so the fact that you know what love is, the fact that I know what love is, that I have any kind of inkling at all, is because God, first and foremost, is love for us. And without us, God is love, right? And so, so it's, that, that's the thing that we have to begin with. And that's the first thing that we have to see about the, the passion that exists there. So that when Jesus says that the Father is, magnifies his love for us in, the, 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 in his intensity of his love for us in the gift of his Son, then that's where we have to begin. You know, I, uh, one of the things that is, is so funny about us is we, we come to worship, we worship in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We think about God, but we t- tend not to think about God very often as a trinity. That's why at the end of every worship service, I give the exact same benediction every single week. Not just because I want you to hear about the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the peace of the Holy Spirit, but I want you to hear that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fully engaged with you, for you, in your redemption, in seeing to it that in your life, Jesus is formed more and more and that God is more glorified. And so it's important for us to see that very personal thing about God at the very beginning, right? So that's the first thing that we have to see. Second thing, next slide, AJ. Um, is that God loves all that he has made, right? Uh, Psalm 145 says that the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. The fact is, whatever God has created, uh, he, he loves it, right? Um, one of the things this year that is amazing to me, I'm sure it's like this every year here, but this year just for some reason seems to be more dramatic than ever is the number of acorns falling out of our oak trees out here is stunning. It is. I, I, I'm sure it's always like this, but there are so many, and they're so big, and they're so dangerous. I mean, they, they fall, they hurt when they hit you, and then some of them are so big that if you're not careful when you walk on them, you'll twist your ankle, right? Acorns are an evidence that God loves all that he has made. Not just because God loves oak trees, because if every acorn that fell grew into an oak tree, we'd be oaked out. We, would, we wouldn't have anything else. All we would have is oaks. But those acorns feed wildlife. Wild turkeys, deer. And as I told Marty, as we were looking at the acorns, you know, only God could love a squirrel. <laughs> right? But he does. He does. He provides. Well, Jesus goes even further in Matthew 5 when he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So the most wicked person you know, the person you dislike the most, God gives them air to breathe, gives them food to eat, and gives them water to drink. Right? So there's this general sense, which is a wonderful thing, is a reflection of the glory of God and the person of God that God looks at all that he has made and he provides and he cares and he loves. He loves his in, both his enemies and his own as he blesses uh, both of them. But there is something that makes the love of God even more intense and that is the particular love of God for his people. And it's not a, just a general love, but it's a love that chooses, right? Right? 
Love that is general is good, beautiful, great. Love that is particular is even more profound. Because while I can say, and while we can say that God loves all, the particular love of God for his people burns with an intensity that's even greater probably than we can understand. And this particular love that we have from God is a love that chooses, right? We see in Deuteronomy, uh, 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 God saying this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So when God looks at the people in the world, he chooses Abraham and his seed, not because they're great, good-looking, talented, you know, all the things that we tell our kids is what gives them worth and value. No, he chooses them because he chooses them. He loves them because he loves. Now, you may be thinking, well, I don't like that word choose. How do I know he chooses, he's cho chosen me? Do you believe him? He chose you. Next slide. Uh, we read in, uh, uh, in Ephesians where Paul writes this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved, right? So this love that is declared to us in Christ, it, 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 we, we hear the gospel, and then God makes that love active in us by making us alive, right? So the, 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 the love of God is so powerful that what happens to us is the gospel is not just words, it's not just actions in history, it is those things, but it becomes life for us, it becomes food for us, it becomes water for us, it becomes a breath for us as God makes us alive to hear and to see and to believe and to, to, to uh, entrust ourselves to him. That's the thing that is so profound about this is, is because this love is not just general, it is particular. God loves you. And that you is both plural, but it is also singular. God knows your story. He knows your hurts. He knows everything about you, your secret sins and your bold technicolor sins. He knows all of those things about you. And he still sets his affection upon his people, right? So uh, when we were dead in trespasses and sins with no hope of loving him, in rebellion against him, he loved us. And this love is magnified to us. And what Jesus says to us here at, at the cost of a very particular gift, that God doesn't just love, he doesn't just pass over the barriers to his love to us, he actually atones for those for us, right? Next slide. See, what we, what we have to see about this is, is that what, what God does for us uh, and the, the manifestation of his love is that the cross is absolutely essential for us to understand the love of God for us because without the cross, without Jesus' death for us, we can't have clear, unfettered access to God because our sin, because we're dead and trespasses and sins, 
must be eradicated. So I, I, I want to apologize to you for the, about the next six minutes because this, we're going to look at an extended uh, portion. I've, I've edited it and, and condensed it and, and put in some less archaic language. But this is from uh, John Calvin's commentary on the Gospel of John, which I think is, is, is such a rich, such a well-written description of what John 3.16 is for us. But he says this, we should remember that this love in which our Heavenly Father embraced us to himself is, since it flows from his eternal good pleasure, is before everything else. Love precedes everything that God does to and for us because it is a reconciling love provided in the giving of Jesus Christ. For since he necessarily, because of his character, because of who he is, and because of his love, hates sin, how shall we be convinced that he loves us until those sins for which he is justly angry with us have been atoned for? You see, that's the, that's the thing that, that, you know, makes this love so profound. It's one thing to say that God loves and he overlooks. It's another thing to say that God loves and he atones, right? That he bears within him uh, the weight of, of, of our sin. And the thing that is, is so uh, uh, profound about this is, is that the fact that God hates sin and hates the sin in you is good news. Because that in and of itself is evidence of his love. Because if I see you readily, willingly, joyfully, ecstatically, pursuing behavior that will kill you. And it doesn't arouse in me a strong emotional reaction, then it's not, it's, you can't say that I love you. you. You must say that I'm indifferent. And indifference is, is, is hate, right? So God, God sees that and he reacts very strongly out of his love uh, to our sin. And, and so he goes on to say that thus before we can have any feeling of his fatherly kindness, the blood of Christ, his sacrifice, must intercede, must, become, come, uh, uh, must come to our rescue to reconcile God to us. Next slide. Faith then is placing Christ before one's eyes and beholding in him the heart of God poured out in love. I just love that phrase, the heart of God poured out in love, because I, how often can anyone say about any of us that our heart is poured out in love, emptied in love for someone else? It's just not much of who we are, is it? I mean, we don't, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, um, at our house, I was counting them the other day, around our sink, there are 18, 18 little jars of like essential oils, whatever that is, with little droppers. I don't know what they're for. I don't know what they are. I started looking at them and they got names of like weeds that I've never heard of before. And I'm like, what is this? I'm sure I'll get a, 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 an explanation for it, but I'm like, you know, you just put this little drop of it here or this little drop of it there and it's just so wonderful, right? Well, God is not like an essential oil. He's poured out, right? In Jesus Christ, what we see is that his love is lavished 
upon us, right? So then faith then is placing Christ before one's eyes and beholding in him the heart of God poured out in love. Our firm and substantial support is to rest on the death of Christ as its only pledge. As soon as the worship service is over, I've got to go get in my car and drive uh, to Charlottesville because I've got to do a memorial service and a burial this afternoon. And one of the, one of the things that uh, uh, um, they don't tell you about in seminary and one of the things that you, I think as a pastor, as a minister, that you have to grow into is the holy and sacred thing it is to stand in front of a grieving widow and her sons and her grandchildren and say to them that God loves them, that he loves uh, their dead loved one, that they can have certainty that their loved one resides in glory because of the love of God manifest to us in the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus Christ for us. And because God accepted that sacrificial atoning death, we have every hope in the resurrection. You see, that in, in, in the bottom line for us in life and in death is that this is true for us. It is, it's, our firm and substantial support is to rest on the death of Christ as its only pledge. Whatever else may be true about you, whatever else may be true about what's going on in your life, Jesus Christ died for you. You cannot say that God doesn't love you. And in fact, the compelling thing about that is, is that God's love is so great for us in that, that it is the one thing in life, it is the one love in life that is better than life itself because it goes further and lasts longer than life itself, right? So Jesus uses the words only begotten to magnify to us the fervor and intensity of God's love for us and to us. Next slide. So God has expressly stated that we are so very dear to God that for our sakes, he did not spare even his only begotten son. God has so clearly announced his love to us that whoever is still doubtful and unsatisfied by this testimony does Christ a serious injury as if he had been some ordinary man who died accidentally. And I want to say, uh, I feel compelled to say this, that for many of us, we see that God has so clearly announced his love to us that whoever is still doubtful and unsatisfied. I don't find many people that are doubtful about this. Uh, at least they have a, a, some understanding of the, of the love of God for us. But I do think many of us are unsatisfied. And that dissatisfaction with this is manifest in, in a restlessness and in a coldness and a hardness, and an uncaring, and a spiritual sleepiness that is not alive to the eternal truth of the heart of your Creator poured out in love for you. God forbid that we hear the love of God, that we see Jesus crucified, and we are not stricken and moved by that. Because, as Calvin says, this testimony does Christ a serious injury as if he had been some ordinary man who died accidentally. 
We should rather consider that God's love for his only begotten son is a measure of how precious we are to him and that he willed the death of the only begotten himself should be its presence, his price. So what are we to make of this? Well, first of all, this kind of love is compelling. If you see and you grapple with the fact that there's this intense fervor uh, from uh, the Father, from the Son, from the Holy Spirit from you, it demands a response. It, you, it, it, and I'm t- here to tell you today that this is so dangerous because when we hear the love of God, it either warms us or it hardens us. If it leaves you indifferent today, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. But if it causes us to ask, what is it about me that God would love me so much that it would cost him the very life of that which was most precious to him, then, then I have to be compelled to look at my life and I have to be compelled to look at the way I love and compelled to look at, at, at what God uh, has done on my behalf. And I have to say, you know, he, what, what, what might he want from me? What might he want? What might he seek as my response to that love? And the, and the response might simply be uh, to be awestruck. To, to just exult in the fact that you're so loved. It also might be so compelling that it drives you to do something really risky for him. Secondly, this kind of love is humbling because the fact is, you know, for most of us, we, we love because we find something lovely in the other, right? Uh, we find them attractive. We find them funny. We find, and, and those things are cute and good as far as they go. But God loves because he loves, simply because he is that, and because in the mystery of who he is, he has set his affection upon us. There's nothing about us. I used to have this, uh, back in the day, we, when we had the first generations of computers, we had these things that they called mouses, mice, mouse, that you moved around, and it moved your cursor around on the screen. I'm the only person I know who still uses a mouse. I understand most people don't use them anymore, right? Those of you of a certain age are like, what? I still use it all the time. Well, I, I, still, I still use mine. I used to have a mouse pad, a little embarrassing, that someone gave me that said, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Right? And I used to be so embarrassed by that because that's such terrible theology. On the other hand, there is a... There is a uh, an element of truth in that, in that the love of Jesus Christ for me is unique and intense and fervent, and it has nothing to do with me. There's nothing about me that, that earns, that draws this kind of love. And then thirdly, this kind of love is uniting, because here's the thing, right? Look across the room at the people you don't like. Look across the room at the people you think are all wrong. Look across the room at all the people that you think uh, are foolish. I won't use another word. Look across the room at all the people you think are less than. Not not because of, of race or ethnicity or education or any of those things, although some of you may be 
thinking that. We're all tempted that way. But less than just because they're just less than. They're just wrong. Isn't it amazing that Jesus has a fervent, passionate, sacrificial, atoning love for that person that's less than? What's wrong with him? Right? That, that's, that's always amazing to me when I think about that is because I'm like, you know, honestly, to show how prideful I am, I, I've, I seldom experience, oh, God, how can you love me? But I often think, how can you love that guy? <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe you're, you're more mature than I am. But I, had, I have that experience often, right? But the truth is, you know, I am compelled to see that God loves my brother and my sister. Uh, and if Jesus is particular in his love for them, and he is particular in his love for me, then the thing, the person that joins us together in unity is him because he loves us both, right? It's a good thing for us uh, to do today to come to the table because the, when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, one of the things that we are recognizing and one of the things that is true of us is that it is as if our Father is kissing us, telling us, of his love and demonstrating before us that Jesus Christ has been lifted up on the cross, atoning for our sins. Hear these words of institution. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins. Holy God, we are guilty of rejecting your commands, of doubting your promises, of proud self-reliance, of neglect to rest in you. Daily we fail to love you and our neighbor as we ought. We praise you for providing the Savior in Jesus who takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Lord, continue the work of salvation in us. Conquer our weakness with your strength. Blot out our self-centeredness with your glory. Meet us in our suffering and disappointments. Refine us as you see fit. Keep us from returning to sin's bondage. Brighten our hearts with your grace. Redirect our desires so that we delight deeply in you. Amen. Brothers and sisters, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, 
and he broke it, and he gave it to his followers, to the ones that he loved. If the love of God is your only hope today, uh, if the love of God is your uh, only trust today, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, he wants you to taste and to see and to uh, be renewed today in the love of the Father for you manifest in Jesus Christ atoning for your sin. That is uh, the Christian's hope. That is the church's proclamation. That is what holds us together because that is the love of God that holds us to him, close to his heart. Um, I want to remind you this morning that uh, uh, as the elders come down front to assist me, that the outer ring is wine, uh, the inner rings are grape juice. Uh, you'll notice that there are two cups uh, underneath each cup. Uh, there is a tiny uh, gluten-free uh, wafer. If you are unable to come down uh, front, raise your hands and we'll see to it uh, that you get served. Once everyone has been served, uh, we will eat and drink uh, uh, the elements together.